understand me now Sometimes I feel a little mad But don't you know that no one alive Can always be an angel When things go wrong I seem to be bad joy that's hard to hide And sometimes it seems that all I have to do is worry And then you're bound to see my other side I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood If I seem edgy, I want you to know that I never meet the I love you, oh, 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 baby, don't you know I'm human? I have thoughts like any other one. Sometimes I find myself long regretting some foolish thing, some little sinful thing I've done. I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood by the Animals, and this is podcast 198, entitled Mirage Fighter. You'll have to get the association with the Mirage Fighter aircraft at the end. Now, um, the uh, occasion of this podcast, which is about the pain and cost of being personally misunderstood, and it's something that I feel very deeply, but I actually hope that you may identify with this, because surely you can tell me, I feel almost certain that there are situations in your present life in which you are um, very um, aware of being misunderstood, misread, misheard, misunderestimated, uh, misdiagnosed, but basically misunderstood, both in terms of your actual motives, which of course in all people are are um, mukish and uh, false and um, mixed, but there's often some real good and aspiring love within the motivations and a little bit of altruism, but I'll bet you that you can identify with being misunderstood, especially professionally or creatively, and I want to talk about it because my own experience of of being misunderstood is so uh, caustically, uh, really... um, caustically costly, uh, that it bears speaking about because it's, uh, I think, something that others I know have had, especially in my own field, but it uh, was recently um, understood empathetically in a, an interview I happened to see with a man named Arthur, Arthur London, or Altour London. Arthur London was one of the 11 defendants in the so-called Slansky trial of November, December, I think late November 1951, which was one of the last of the 
so-called show trials under Josef Stalin, in which uh, hardcore, absolutely Gnasio-rooted, anchored, solid-as-a-rock ideologues in the Communist Party suddenly found themselves, for reasons uh, that were only related to Josef Stalin's personal megalomania and really um, sadistic uh, character, uh, under a huge attack and sentenced to death in a kind of elaborate theatrical preset drama for crimes that they had not in one iota committed. And loyal people who had had the greatest and best interests of the October Revolution to heart suddenly found themselves up against the wall and shot. And uh, in 1951, this occurred in Prague, and Arthur London uh, was suddenly arrested uh, for things that he had not done and was told that the party required him to confess things that he had not done. And after a tremendous amount of brainwashing and actual physical torture, he did so, and he did so uh, like the character Winston Smith in 1984. Um, uh, he, he did so, and he simply lost him himself. himself. And he came out of the experience, however, and found, found himself again and wrote a wonderful book um, on which a movie by Costa Gavras, I know this is TMI, but bear with me, Costa Gavras wrote a movie called The Confession with Yves Montand and Simon Signore, which is based on the story of Arthur London, and it's accurate and true, and London actually visited the set and approved the movie in every respect. Now, in an interview with Arthur London, much later after the fact, even after the movie was made, Arthur London said that the great crisis of his life came came when he realized as a as a um, deeply felt and utterly convinced and sincere um, communist who'd come up through the ranks and had been in a German concentration camp, in fact, for years and had every degree of uh, Purple Heart on him, was nonetheless suddenly um, discovered, uh, discovering that uh, Stalinist communism had a dark side so uh, darker and so much deeper and so much more entrenched and so much more awesomely absurd than anything he'd ever encountered or thought possible in life. And he found he had to, in order to keep any degree of mental health, distinguish in his mind between that which was the youthful idealism of the communism that he had embraced in hopes, to use his words, of creating a world in which human brotherhood and enlightenment could become part of the equation of this world. He had to separate in his mind in order simply to live his idealism, which as a much older man he still held to, from the actual fact or the way or the feet on the ground form that communism had taken under Joseph Stalin in in the very Vatican of its, uh, the very Moscow of its, uh, of its uh, gestation and uh, birth under Lenin in October. And this uh, was a vital distinction which, and here came the key sentence for me, he looked at the camera and he said, like Christianity, Christians are required, have to distinguish to survive between the Christianity of the Spanish Inquisition and of Torquemada, on the one hand, and real Christianity, or authentic Christianity. Now, I thought that was a wonderful statement coming from a man who's not a Christian. And uh, he understands the difference between the, the sign and the thing signified. And the thing signified is what we signed up for when we began this thing as a as uh, born-again Episcopalians, you might say, uh, Episcopalians whose lives have been transformed by the core gospel above and beyond any uh, barriers or uh, human constraints, issues, or political institutions. And we decided to take that experience that a number of us had had and take it into the old church in the hopes of bringing the church not to a new place, but to a very old place, the very initiation and beginning and um, ground of its anchored faith in the one who came, the man for others. And this was our conviction that we could do so. And it failed. 
we were misunderstood from the beginning. Uh, we were seen to be sort of Anglo-Baptists. That's a reference to the expression Anglo-Catholics. Um, that is to say, were we really Episcopalians? I mean, we were talking like Billy Graham. They didn't know, the people that heard us, they didn't know about John Stott or or the evangelical tradition in the Church of England or um, Donald Coggan or uh, Mr. Ryder, the first evangelical archbishop. Uh, actually, Sumner, I, not Ryder. Ryder was the first bishop, the first evangelical archbishop, John Bird Sumner. They didn't know about the... the, the East uh, Cornwall and Devon Awakening. They didn't know about Simeon and his remarkable ministry in the early 1800s. They didn't know about Max Warren, maybe a little bit about Max Warren. And so they just saw us as some kind of interloper bringing in some kind of evangelical alienism into the um, institution which didn't really want that and was in fact intended almost to parry it. Now uh, what happened is we went forward and we tried not to change something but to invite an old institution, which had many valuable things about it on its own terms, but to invite that institution to find a revivification, uh, uh, not vivisection, a revivification or a, a renewal within that which was ancient true, which had struck us as existentially so valid and powerful in the forgiveness of sins and the change of our adolescent lives. And we tried it and we failed and we failed across the board. Now, we didn't fail before God. We didn't fail before people. There were many strong churches uh, founded by people people that I know that continued and are were, were very strong. Uh, very, very few of them exist now because their leaders have left. Uh, that is simply the case. There are exceptions, but for the most part, the leaders and rectors of these growing, quote, evangelical and of, quote, Episcopal parishes found themselves feeling unsafe and unsupported and, in fact, uh, really rather dissed and uh, departed uh, under terrible stress and tremulation and sorrow and, in uh, some cases, bitterness. And so uh, we weren't... I, 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 rem- I remember um, very early in the line, I should have picked it up, I should have seen it immediately, I was having a dinner with Mary, with a, a, the, the rector at that time of a church called St. Barnabas Leland, this is many, 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 many years ago, please don't count anyone, it's before anyone was born, so long ago was it, and we were having, uh, I like the rector, a very nice chap, very uh, very uh, uh, genial character, and a lovely man actually, and uh, he said, well where did, you, um, where did you actually study, and I said, well we studied in England, and he said, oh, uh, one of the Catholic, one of the Anglo-Catholic semin- seminaries. He just he he lit up one of the Anglo-Catholic seminaries, and I said, well, no, actually, it was one of the uh, evangelical uh, seminaries on the other side of the Church of England, and his face just fell. A, he didn't even know what I was talking about. B, it sounded terrible to him. I could just tell whatever it was. To be Anglo-Catholic was cool, neat, liturgical, and in keeping with what he thought he was doing, although he was in a very Protestant building. But uh, he, as soon as I said, well, no, actually, it was one of the evangelical ones. Well, that was the word, because... Who knows what background he had come from? But it was like saying, yes, I've just come from the leper colony on Molokai, and I haven't, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely contaminated, or I'm, I've, I've just come from the town and, uh, where the Andromeda strain took place, and my blood is turning to sand as we speak. Can I shake your hand? You know, I mean, it was literally that way. Well, I should have realized. Anyway, we attempted to invite uh, an old institution as well as we could, and individuals in it, um, to... Uh, uh, to, to return ad fontes, you know, to the fountain, to the well, to the kvelen, the, the great well of Christianity itself and Christ and St. Paul and the New Testament itself and its ipso, and uh, for whatever reasons, 
as much our amateurishness and angularity and adolescent anger and disappointment, which produces angularity and edginess for all these reasons, we were essentially failed. And so we were not only were we misunderstood, uh, but uh, we failed completely. And it was across the board. Now, let me try to be funny. Let me try to be funny. And then um, um, uh, then close this on a note of uh, uh, on the Mirage fighter, because we really uh, were mistaken. And so there's a kind of disillusionment that has to fall in as to Arthur London, or poor Slansky, who died immediately, was hanged on December the 3rd, Arthur London being, um, his sentence being commuted to life imprisonment and finally rehabilitated. And of course, now he's a great hero. I mean, I think the Czech government under Havel gave him the great order of merit, the purple heart on the planet, as far as uh, the government of Czechoslovakia is concerned, um, the Czech Republic. Um, so I look forward to the time. The Bishop's Cross now goes to the river John Yeats, you know, you, you sort of look forward to a time when it will happen very possibly, but not in our lifetime. Absolutely not in our lifetime. But um, here's a little thing. I go to a church service with Mary far away from here. It's not anywhere near Fairfield County or anywhere near the New York area. It happened. We were on the road not long ago, far, far from here, way, way. Let's call it Middle West somewhere. And we go to early church or, and, and I, we went to, we suffered through this right to early church Eucharist. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish I hadn't gone. I thought it would be sort of prayer book right one, and it was not. And we finished it up. And as I walked to the car, I got in the car and I said to Mary, well, clean sweep, clean sweep. I mean, everything that could possibly, everything that we possibly had fought for, me and Fred Barbie and the Anglican Digest and all these different people, everything we possibly contested and tried to make a voice for, all those columns we wrote for the Episcopal New Yorker, all those articles we wrote, all those books we wrote on the Protestant face of Anglicanism, not a single iota of what we were contending for has been embraced. I mean, it's a clean sweep. I mean, we got there. Everybody stood throughout the entire service. There was no sense of repentance. There was no confession. Um, it was right to Eucharist. Um, everybody stood. They stood throughout the entire communion prayer. Um, and it was led, the, the, those who stood was led by the becollared retired Episcopal clergy who were there in quite some numbers. And I mean, of course, there were a few old people and some old timers who probably remembered growing up in 1948 or something, and they kneeled, and it was so touching to see them kneeling, knelt. And I wanted to kneel because who doesn't want to go? Why do I go? Why do you go? I go to feel, to understand that my sins have been forgiven, that I can start anew, that whatever I've been guilty of in my relationships, in my, the way I've spoken to um, Mary, to children, to people, to salespersons, to people on the train, to friends of mine, to dinners, to people in the podcast, you name it, that Everyone that I've spoken of, the thoughts I've had, the mean, defended thoughts, all this, that, that I, I need a savior. I, I don't need a community. I mean, I, I love a community of people who feel the way I am, who are saved of their, uh, the consequences of their sins and can be forgiven and express that forgiveness in the works of love and in the works of hope and joy in the world. But initially I go to church because I need to feel, to understand, to hear the word of God. Come unto me, all you that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish like me. Ah! 
down for the third time, down for the count, going down for the last time. This may be the last time, maybe the last time, maybe the last time. I don't know. Well, I need to be rescued and I need to hear it and I don't need to do it standing up. I need to be on my knees and I need to have some prayer which is in touch with the blood of Christ. I don't need to have them telling me sort of incanted uh, words at the rail. They don't even, I don't take the wine for personal reasons. Uh, I cross my, uh, my arms folded across my chest when the wine comes and they don't even give the words, which is always the tradition in the Episcopal Church when those who for personal reasons do not wish to drink the wine but wish to receive that which the wine comports, you say the blood of Christ which was shed for thee because it's a spiritual giving. It's a spiritual, it's a thing signified, not the, not the sign, but they don't even do that. I, I feel like I'm receiving communion in one kind and there's nothing there. And then uh, God's self, the word God's self all the time, every time we're told to stand, if we are able, I mean, of course it's understood that not everyone can stand. It would never was. Do you think when we just said, please stand, we were attacking handicapped persons? Not at all. Um, we, 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 I mean, I don't like to stand. Uh, I, we, what if you have diabetes and your feet, you have gout, and it's terrible to stand, especially after you've been sitting on an airplane? Of course you're not going to stand. But there, it was all trend. It was trend, 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 trend. And the sermon was a combination of hectoring, imprecation, exhortation for us to, as a community, not as an individual, do the works of love, and the works of love are most wonderful and true, and ought to be done and are thoroughly laudable, but they have to be rooted in something, and there was no rooting. We were all addressed as a faith community. We here at St. Aloysius, uh, not St. Aloysius, and we here at St. Barnabas, um, we must therefore do this, that, and the other thing, and um, there was no sense of anrede. That is to say, a personal address. I remember Kazemann was at a meeting in Princeton once, and, and he was hearing some very uh, sort of theologically liberal American scholar go on and on about whatever he thought St. Paul meant in terms of participationism. And uh, um, Kazemann whispered, I think, to a friend of mine, who, who also a German, and said, Ja, aber das, uh, aber das, ist, das ist kein Anrede. That is, there's no address. There's no address to me. I, I go to. I need to be, uh, to be spoken to as as an individual. What about you? Didn't you learn that from T. D. Jakes? No. What about you? He said. W- where are you in this? Have you been misunderstood? Well, I want to say that that Arthur London realized that he needed to 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 see that he would always be misunderstood by the institutional carrier of that which was true. But that which was true was still true. As Gramsci, the Italian communist, said, "The truth is always revolutionary." We weren't there to be curmudgeons. We came into it to return the church to a revolutionary truth of justification by faith through grace. And that is the great convincing thing. And it's uh, had John Wesley got thrown out of the church for it. And George Whitfield de facto got thrown out of the church for it, although he had a tremendous gift of patience to stay in uh, formally. Uh, I'm in and I'll remain so. Uh, but nevertheless, um, uh, the love I saw in you was just a mirage. And as soon as we grapple with the fact, the mirage-like character of what we thought was true, we can go into a situation, it could even be your family, it could even be uh, your bank, it could be uh, your job, your academic work, whatever it is. Uh, do not be surprised if there is a clean sweep
in relationship to everything and against everything that you have personally invested yourself in. Later on, God will uh, alter the landscape, but it will be after your death. It will not be before. They are very few and far between people who have been under attack, who see the fruit. Now, Arthur London, I believe, was one. You might say that God uh, caused his sufferings to be so intense that he had to give him something uh, before he died, I think, in 1986. God had to to give. The cost was so great to Arthur London and Elise, his wife, that uh, something had to be given. I'm sure they're going to name streets after Arthur London, probably already have in Prague to this day, or where he was born, in Slansky, Slansky Strasse, or whatever the equivalent is in Czech. Well, um, Prague, check it out. Thank you very much, and um, listen to Beloved Smokey. Two kisses of your hand. 